Yes, over the weekend, I watched Joe Biden pounding a podium while making a speech with that idiot Kamala Harris standing behind him to his right. And I still don't know what he was speaking about. He was waxing poetic about the Declaration of Indepe uh, Independence and how we hold these truths to be self-evident and so forth. I think it was an excerpt from some speech he was giving about violence against Asian Americans. I mean, the guy's a lunatic. He's just completely out there. Hi, everyone. I'm Jamie Dury, and welcome to another episode of the NPO podcast, National Preview Online. If you have not already done so, please subscribe to the show. You can do so by going either to the iTunes App Store, the Google Play Store, and simply clicking subscribe after you search for the NPO podcast. You can also, in the alternative, download the free Podbean app, which is available at either of those two app stores. That's our hosting service. And you can subscribe to the show by searching out the NPO podcast there. Either way you subscribe, you'll always be notified when a new episode is uploaded. You can leave comments and reviews, and we really are in need of both. The more reviews and positive comments we receive, the more readily the show will grow and the more quickly we will be able to expand our offerings to you. So please, if you can, uh, do that for us. As well, uh, you could also share the show with friends of yours. We would greatly appreciate that as well. If you'd like myself, Jamie Dury, to speak at one of your local Republican meetings or community meetings, please just contact us at nationalpreviewonline at gmail.com, and we'll be happy to get in touch with you. Uh, it be no problem. It'd be our pleasure to do it. I think you'd enjoy it. If you have a comment or a um, topic that you'd like me to cover, please feel free to contact me at the same email address. In any event, uh, things are starting to heat up a little bit. Some very, very interesting items I came across while perusing the news this fine Monday morning. Now, we've been living with this pseudo-pandemic, this COVID virus, uh, since last year, the early portion of last year. Uh, we first started really hearing about it in earnest in January, and cases didn't really hit us until late January, early February, but it's been occupying our lives. And under the aegis of protecting us from COVID, and in some cases now protecting us from ourselves, the government has exerted a great deal of influence over our lives. They've mandated us to wear masks. People have been subjected to public ridicule when they haven't by others who are benighted and unwitting in all of this. Uh, people who readily, like sheep, go along with what they're told to do. We have contradictions. We have people being sent to their deaths in nursing, nursing homes while the government is exercising all manner of authority over us, all ostensibly to keep us from dying. Uh, and so now, as vaccines have become available, and it is readily apparent that vaccines aside, that this virus is not the lethal uh, pandemic everyone was led to believe it was. We have a survival rate of 99.5%. If I have to get something, please let me get COVID. I'd like to have something that I know I have a 99.5% chance of surviving uh, rather than cancer, which has a much lower survival rate uh, and is more often than not lethal. But at some point, 
things have to be relaxed. Now, even here in the state of New York with the uh, great Benito Cuomo, Il Duce, they've recognized that they have to relax uh, restrictions on masks and occupancy. Now, we don't know how much of that is because the governor really believes it or because he had no choice because his youngest daughter is getting married next month and he can't have a 500-person wedding at the governor's mansion if he has a restriction on weddings and social gatherings of a certain percentage. Let's see if he decides to engage in some retrograde movement following the marrying of his daughter. I'd like to see if he actually pays the bill for the catering service or stiffs them because he's the governor of New York, but that remains to be seen. However, as I've told you many times, the watchword for the 21st century, and certainly for this uh, next four years under this administration, is hypocrisy. That is the word of the day, and we see it wherever we go, and I keep finding more and more examples of it. And today is no exception. And finally, somebody's pushing back. Students are rallying against mandatory COVID-19 vaccines at Rutgers University. Quote, they're going to keep moving the goalposts. That's the title of the article in the Epic Times. Hundreds of New Jersey students and parents held a rally on Friday outside Rutgers University in New Brunswick, New Jersey, to protest the school's COVID-19 vaccine mandate for students. Now, why did they do this? Well, I'm going to read a little more from the article, but before I do, I'm just going to cut to the chase. They're doing this, one, because they resent the fact that they have to be forced to have a vaccine in order to go to school. And I think what really bothers him is that while the school is using all of this leverage against the students, making them get the vaccine, the staff and faculty are not required to get it at all. So why is it that the students are the only ones at risk? And if anything, collegiate students, generally being younger uh, rather than older, they're at least risk of everything. The people who are most at risk by age are these geriatric old pieces of crap who couldn't make a, a living in the private sector but do so being uh, college professors paid inflated salaries to indoctrinate students, not teach them. But let's go on. In collaboration with the Young Americans for Liberty and Turning Point USA, a medical freedom advocacy group, New Jersey Stands Up organized a rally in response to the university's new requirement introduced this past March that all students enrolled for in-person classes in 2021 fall semester must be vaccinated for COVID-19. The mandate did not apply to students enrolled in fully remote online programs, of course, and it allowed students to ask for an exemption from vaccination on medical or religious grounds, according to a statement. Now, it seems that almost everyone may try and get that, but whether or not they'll grant it or not, we don't know. But it's interesting. Uh, the university's faculty and staff were not required to get vaccinated against COVID-19, but Rutgers Executive Vice President and Chief Operating Officer Antonio Calcado strongly urged them to receive the vaccine. Strongly urging and mandating are two different things. Now, in response to this mandate, the New Jersey legislature decided to act, and they proposed bills to prohibit forced vaccination and discrimination of unvaccinated individuals. New Jersey Assemblyman Jerry Scharfenberger, Republican, has introduced a bill this month 
to prevent usage of vaccine passports and prohibit discrimination against individuals who did not receive the COVID-19 vaccine. The bill, also sponsored by two other Republican assemblymen, seeks to combat the implementation and the very notion of mandating individuals acquire vaccine passports before taking part in common societal activities, as well as preventing the discrimination of those who do not wish to disclose such information. This legislation, therefore, makes it unlawful to ask a person whether they received a vaccine against COVID-19, a disease caused by the Chinese communist virus. Now, look, we said this the other day when I said that the Third Reich is alive and well. Well, you have to see your papers and all this other sort of thing. I mean, it's getting out of control. It's finally uh, gratifying to see that certain lawmakers are realizing that we've gone too far and a little bit of common sense is coming back. Even in states like New Jersey, where you had a governor, who, uh, Phil Murphy, who's a little out of control uh, with this COVID-19 nonsense. And now we have assemblymen uh, in the state legislature stepping up to the plate saying, no, 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 this is enough. Uh, at the same time, as a collateral uh, issue. I wasn't going to cover this today, but I'll just mention it as an aside. Uh, voting on a referendum uh, during a primary election, the people of the state of Pennsylvania have uh, voted to limit the emergency powers of their governor, Tom Wolf, because he's been rather reckless and had uh, an exorbitant number of nursing home deaths. I've told you before, there were five states in this country that had over 40% of all the nursing home deaths because of their stupid policy of mandating nursing homes to accept COVID-19 infected patients. California, New York, Pennsylvania, uh, New Jersey, and Michigan. So I'm gratified to see people pushing back against uh, greater encroachment on people's freedoms with ridiculous policies like this. And New Jersey Senator Michael Testa Jr., made the same observation I just made. How can they mandate students get the vaccine, but not the faculty, and called it hypocrisy? That's our word for the 21st century and certainly for the Biden administration. Senator Testa also urged the audience to contact their legislatures, inundate their offices with letters, emails, show up like today, not just on these issues, but on every single issue. Now, Phil Rizzo, who was running for governor of the state of New Jersey as a Republican said at the rally that if he gets elected, his administration will send a message to Rutgers that if it does not drop its vaccine mandate, the state will pull $1 billion from the university until the student's liberty is assured. Quote, I trust New Jersey residents and business owners and parents to make decisions for themselves with their doctor to keep themselves healthy. It's not the government's job to keep you healthy. It's the government's job to keep you free. Here, here, candidate Rizzo, we wish you Godspeed in your attempt to unseat Governor Murphy. And isn't it true? First of all, under the HIPAA law, you don't have to release any information about yourself in terms of your health. When this mask mandate first came out, I said, what about people who have respiratory problems? Quite apart from anything having to do with COVID and cannot afford to have their breathing restricted by a mask. They don't have to tell anyone, I can't wear a mask because I have a health issue. Not only can you not ask him 
or her, if they have an issue that prevents them from wearing a mask, you can't even, uh, you cannot ask them what the issue is. You can't even ask them if they have an issue. So it's a little bit ridiculous. Now, moving right along, we have a couple of other little tidbits that I might uh, surprise you with. Now, you recall back when they had that rally on January 6th in uh, Washington, everyone called this uh, domestic terrorism, uh, it's terrible uh, assault on our democracy, and what did they do? They invaded the Capitol, they broke a few windows, they didn't hurt anybody, uh, they didn't assault any members of Congress or the Senate. They didn't do anything except maybe a few people sat in Nancy Pelosi's chair. Big deal. Meanwhile, the same people who were decrying this exercise of peaceful protest, the same people who were criticizing this as savagery and insurrection and so forth, pretty harsh terms, turned a blind eye to Black Lives Matter and Antifa, burning down cities like Portland, Oregon, Minneapolis, Minnesota, Seattle, Washington. All of this stuff was forgotten. The looting that took place here in my home state of New York, every designer store on Fifth Avenue boarded up like the riots had happened. Everybody forgets all that. Now it's interesting that a Black Lives Matter supporter who was president at the Capitol breach and was in fact the one who sold his film footage of the killing of Ashley Babbitt, which I still maintain is murder, and that that Capitol lieutenant who shot her needs to be indicted and tried. That was premeditated murder. Um, He has now been charged by the feds. The Department of Justice filed new charges against reported Black Lives Matter activist John Sullivan for his role in the January 6th Capitol breach, saying that Sullivan allegedly told others later that he brought along a megaphone to incite riots in the building. I told you this all along, that people were gathered there to support Trump peacefully and instigators from uh, organizations like Black Lives Matter and Antifa were the ones who actually arrived first at the Capitol, breached it, and then encouraged the Trump supporters never else to come in. The Trump supporters probably would never have breached the Capitol on their own, but having seen it breached, you know how crowd behavior is. When one person does something, everyone else follows it. So this whole thing was manipulated by uber-leftist groups in order to make Trump and his supporters look like uh, radicals and outside the mainstream of uh, modern contemplative thought. According to court documents filed last week by federal prosecutors, Sullivan, who is a resident of Utah, believe it or not, is facing new weapons charges. Sullivan, in statements online and in reports, said he attended a number of Black Lives Matter protests last year, posted numerous anti-police and anti-Trump statements, and also allegedly posted on Twitter support for armed revolution. After leaving the Capitol on January 6th, Sullivan was seen, according to federal prosecutors, telling a witness that he, quote, brought my megaphone to instigate expletives, you know, cursing, and wanted to make these Trump supporters, blah, 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 all this blah, blah, blah up inside the Capitol building. Sullivan, they said, also portrayed himself as a journalist who was documenting the incident. 
However, they said that he was actively participating in the breach and even apparently broke a window. Quote, there are so many people. Let's go. This blank is ours. Blank, yeah, Sullivan allegedly cheered after he and others entered the Capitol. He added, we accomplished this blank. We did this together. Yeah, we are all part of this history. Let's burn this blank down, according to court papers. Federal prosecutors alleged he was attempting to incite others to burn the Capitol down several times. Now, this is a revelation. Uh, I call this a revelation not because it's surprising to me, but because it's surprising to me that the federal prosecutors under this administration are actually charging this man and letting this information out. It's not surprising to me that he did this. It's not surprising to me that he said this. I maintained all along that that protest was infiltrated by uber leftists. But to have the attorney general or the Justice Department under the Biden administration admit that this was the case is what's shocking to me. Appearing to reference his participation in Black Lives Matter events at one point on January 6th, he's also heard allegedly saying, I'm ready, Bo, bro. I've been to many riots. I've been in so many riots. At one point, Sullivan allegedly told Capitol Police officers in the building to stand down. That's pretty cool. You tell the police to stand down. There are too many people. You got to stand down. The people out there that tried to do that shit, they got hurt. I saw it. I'm caring about you, he said. Could you imagine this? He tells the police officers, the people who tried to stop it outside, meaning your fellow police officers, they got hurt. I'm caring about you. Stand down and let it go. He wanted that capital to be overrun. He wanted it to be overrun, and he wanted the Trump people to get the blame for it, even though he was the catalyst, or one of many catalysts. Because just like rats, when you see in a city scurrying around at night, going in and out of garbage cans. For every rat you see, there's 30 you don't see. If they've caught this guy Sullivan, how many others were there doing the same thing that weren't caught? Supposedly also said, hey guys, I have a knife. I have a knife. Let me up. This is really insane. Now, additionally, the Department of Justice seized $90,000 in funds from Sullivan. This is the sum of money he supposedly received from news outlets to whom he sold the footage of Ashley Babbitt's murder to. And he bragged about it that day. According to the court filings, he boasted to a witness, quote, my footage is worth like a million dollars. Now, he didn't get a million, but 90000 is not an insubstantial sum of money. Sullivan's lawyer has no comment. According to reports, Sullivan was involved in organizing Black Lives demonstrations in Utah. I can't believe they got that far in Utah. Uh, and a host of other things. He got 35000 for the footage when he sold it to CNN, uh, 35000 to NBC, and that would be 70000 and the other 20000 presumably from other uh, organizations that he sold it to. So... He was arrested in January 14th, but it took all, uh, all this time before the Justice Department actually tried him and named these charges. So I'm going to be following this prosecution. We're going to be following this prosecution to see if somebody intervenes. 
from higher up in the administration, and if this thing gets swept under the rug, or if this one does, this man doesn't get charged with any jail time at all, like we saw recently here in New York, in the in the uh, Eastern District of New York, where the two correction officers, both who happen to be black, um, a woman and a man, have made a deal with federal prosecutors in the death of Jeffrey Epstein. They admitted that they falsified logbooks. They did not check on him every uh, 15 or 30 minutes like they were supposed to. As we know, Jeffrey Epstein supposedly committed suicide. We don't know the whole story. They're not getting any jail time, presumably for their cooperation. Now, normally the federal government doesn't do that. They just tell you, you cooperate, we're going to give you more time. And if you, uh, if you cooperate, we'll give you less time, but you're getting time. Here, they're not getting any time. And we'd like to know why that is the case. Certainly, it warrants it. Uh, and I'd like to know why they're being given this sweet deal. That tells me that there are some powerful people that are afraid that whatever it is uh, that Jeffrey Epstein knew and perhaps his surviving uh, business partner, Ms. Maxwell, knows may come to the fore and are looking to shut down reasons for people to speak up any way they can. And I'm sure the silence of these correction officers, who probably know more than the letting on, is being bought off by the fact that they won't have to do jail time. So this is all very interesting to me. Now, meanwhile, in a collateral way, this next story is related to my second story. Because the primary reason that everyone was gathered at the Capitol on January 6th, when this Sullivan character incited people to riot, uh, was to protest an election they felt was stolen. Uh, and I am in that camp, and there's a great deal of evidence that was not allowed to be presented to any court because no court even wanted to hear the cases. And that's uh, brought sharp public criticism and criticism from other areas of the judicial system on the Supreme Court uh, and even within the court itself for not hearing a lot of these cases, as well as many of these state courts and legislatures for not acting. It's a little story that out of New Hampshire. This is dated today, the 24th. Auditors who were examining votes in Wyndham, New Hampshire, may have figured out why initial results showed a discrepancy in the vote count for a Democratic candidate. And the reason why, they found out that the new scan only counted 28% of test ballots for GOP candidates. Republicans in Wyndham, New Hampshire, won all four seats <clears throat> excuse me, in the legislative election on November 3rd, but a Democratic candidate, Christy St. Lauren, requested a recount. And the recount was granted because she only lost by 24 votes. When they actually conducted the recount, they found that she didn't lose by 24 votes. Instead, the recount effort showed that GOP candidates had actually received 300 additional votes while St. Laurent lost 99 votes. Now, this audit was carried out to determine why there was a discrepancy in the initial tally and the recount tally. Now, the auditors involved in the process said they may have discovered the reason why. Quote, We now have experimental confirmation that if the contest is undervoted, a fold through a vote target can create a vote. None of the 65 ballots was marked for St. Laurent, 
but the machines interpreted 25 of the folds as votes for her, meaning the ballot was folded, I guess, at the line where you could check off, you know, that person, and that counted like it was filled out. Uh, this was uh, put, put forth by Wyndham NH Auditors, Wyndham, New Hampshire Auditors, which is operated by auditors Harry Hursty and Mark Lindman and Philip Stark. It later clarified that it was 75 votes, not 65 votes. So actually, it was 75 ballots, not 65 ballots that had folds in them. A minor number, but you have to understand New Hampshire uh, and some of these local offices, there's not a lot of votes cast for a particular candidate because New Hampshire is a rather rural state and it's not heavily populated. Uh, they showed photos and so forth of the ballots to give an example of this. Something I can't show you here, uh, you know, on a podcast. But something we strongly suspect at this juncture, based on various evidence, is that in some cases, fold lines are being interpreted by the scanners as valid votes. The auditors in another tweet found that another machine had an even more dramatic problem and counted only 28% of the 75 votes for each Republican candidate in the contest. Because if someone voted for all four Republican candidates and the ballot happened to have its fold line going through St. Lawrence Target, then that might be interpreted by the machines as an overvote, which would then subtract votes from each of those four Republican candidates. Conversely, if there were not four votes already in that contest by the voter, a fold line through that target could have caused the machine to interpret it as a vote for St. Lawrence. I find it interesting that these anomalies, folds in papers, hanging chads, um, overvotes, how come these ambiguities always accrue to the benefit of Democrats and never to the benefit of Republicans? Just amazing. So for all of you out there who still believe that the election was on the up and up and that this automated voting system is fine, it's perfect, it's a bunch of crap. Listen, when I grew up in New York State, there was a very, very, very simple machine. You went to the machine, the polls opened up, the poll watchers made sure that there was no votes tabulated on the machine, you didn't have a paper ballot, you didn't have a scanner, you signed the book that you were there to vote because you were registered to vote, you went into the booth, you closed the curtain with the handle, you pushed all the levers down for the candidates you wanted, you took the lever, moved it back across the opposite way, that opened the curtain and cleared the machine so nobody could see what you voted for, and all the votes were tabulated. All that mattered is that at the end of the day, at each voting station, you could show that you had 5,000 people that voted, and you had a total of 5,000 ballots cast, and everything was on the up and up. But somebody paid millions of dollars to put a computerized system in, just so that system could be manipulated. Because you see, no doubt there can be certain chicanery done with certain machines, even of the old style that I spoke of, but it was few and far between, it was isolated, and it could be addressed locally and by higher authority if necessary. But when you've got computer databases where votes can be done online, as people want in this House Resolution 1, 
where boats are being monitored by a central database, perhaps not even in this country, you have just surrendered all control over your elections and, by extension, over your future and your freedom. For National Preview Online, I'm Jamie Dury.